Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett and Adesh Nakas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. This episode explores the history and complexities of the simple dish of fry bread and talks with the CPM photographer who traveled North America to capture Potawatomi from all nine nations in regalia. We'll also hear from the CPN language department about food and hear a recipe for corn pancakes. Try to remember the first time you took a bite of fry bread. Was it at the fair? In your nokmas or grandmother's kitchen? Was it covered in powdered sugar or have a hint of honey? Did you dunk it in some mdamnabo or corn soup? Was it piled high with taco toppings? National Taco Day on October 4th celebrates the many ways to prepare one of America's favorite dishes, including with a base of fry bread. Citizen Potawatomi Nation employees serve up made-to-order fry bread tacos for lunch and dinner at Fire Lake Fry Bread Taco. Manager Preston Goomby remembers all of the employees learning how to make it together when they first opened in 2014. We all make it pretty much the same way. Of course, you know, you have your different variations at times just because not everybody makes the same dough-wise. You know, everybody has different um, ideas how sticky it should be. Some people can work with the sticky and some of can't, so. Not a traditional Native American food, fry bread originated out of necessity. In the mid to late 1860s, the United States forcibly removed the Dene people from their ancestral homelands in what is now Arizona to present-day New Mexico, referred to as the Long Walk. Travelers began making fry bread from the limited rations handed out by the government to prevent starvation along the way. Smithsonian Magazine's Jen Miller described the resourcefulness behind it in a piece titled Fry Bread. This seemingly simple food is a complicated symbol in Navajo culture. Fry bread appears to be nothing more than fried dough, like an unsweetened funnel cake, but thicker and softer, full of air bubbles and reservoirs of grease. But it is revered by some as a symbol of native pride and unity. Others consider fry bread a piece of colonial history and one that contributes to a list of the most prevalent health problems endured by indigenous peoples today. In January 2005, Indian Country Today columnist Suzanne Harjo outlined her grievances against what she sarcastically called a gift of Western civilization in an op-ed piece. Fry bread is emblematic of the long trails from home and freedom to confinement and rations. It's the connecting dot between healthy children and obesity, hypertension, diabetes, dialysis, blindness, amputations, and slow death. However, other tribal members consider it part of their heritage. They have good memories of learning to cook the perfect piece and enjoying it as a child, like Citizen Potawatomi Nation tribal member and PCOR family descendant, Margaret Zintek. Saturday mornings, fry bread, Indian bread as we called it. With uh, I had mine with syrup, some of them had it with honey. We all had fried bread. It's favorite meal, and it is like a treat. Okay. A January 2020 article by the Navajo Times reported the first fried bread taco, or Navajo taco, 
was created in 1964 at the Navajo Lodge's restaurant by manager Lou Shepard. The idea came to him while serving a friend who told Shepard to surprise him. Looking around the kitchen, Shepard topped the bread with chili, beans, green chilies, lettuce, and more, as described in columnist Bill Donovan's piece, 50 years ago, Navajo Taco bursts flavorfully onto scene. It was an immediate sensation, and it soon became the most popular item on the menu. Shepard found himself making as many as 75 Navajo tacos a day. Many of his customers would order it three or four times a week. Since 1964, the dish has permeated tribes from every region of North America. In 2014, Citizen Potawatomi Nation decided to open a restaurant near the tribal complex to give customers more dining choices. Fire Lake Fry Bread Taco, located next to Fire Lake Discount Foods, became a unique establishment that served a menu unlike any other in the Oklahoma City metro, and the only one that makes fry bread tacos year-round, according to manager Preston Goomby. And it's just neat to see how, how much bigger this has gotten. In the past couple of weeks, just people who have never been here coming in, so it's like it just makes it feel a, a sense of pride. Diners enjoy picking their toppings, including various types of meat, beans, and vegetables, as well as the restaurant's spicy meat pies, corn soup, and sweeter options. Fire Lake Restaurant's director, Tammy Tate, takes pride in the fact that the fry bread is made to order. We like to not make the fry bread until they come in, unless we have a line that when we have someone back there who's making it all the time. But other than that, we don't, it's fresh. It's made fresh. It's cooked fresh. Everything's fresh. Fire Lake Fry Bread Taco stayed open through the coronavirus pandemic with limited time menu items, great deals on carryout orders, and new specials aimed at families. Many tribes across Indian country have their version of the Indian taco, and everyone claims a secret to making the best fry bread. Some think it takes a bit of salt, some add a bit of sugar. However, any recipe begins with a 2 to 1 flour and warm water ratio. This summer, Zintech guided a group of CPN interns through making it, many of them, for the first time. She explained to them the simple process that only uses a few ingredients. So, there's a difference in your cooks and how they do it. I use all-purpose, and normally I'm going to do three cups of flour, three heaping teaspoons of baking powder, a teaspoon of salt, and a very generous tablespoon of sugar. The Citizen Potawatomi Nation hosts a fry bread cooking competition at the annual Family Reunion Festival in June. Zintek has won before, but this year she did not place. First place went to Dusty Graggs, a Wilmette family descendant who traveled from Enid, Oklahoma. She won the judges over, not only the first time she entered the competition, but her first time making fry bread ever. But all the ingredients were set out on the table, and so I just did a dish and a dash and a prayer and went up and kind of, I had no idea what I was doing. I asked a lot of questions during the competition just to the little neighbors sitting next to me and by chance I won. I mean, I mean, it's kind of a fun little story. I know people have been making fry bread for years and years and years and I've never done it before. Her excitement and surprise showed on her face as she accepted her prize. Graggs hopes to keep her winning streak alive and plans to enter again at next year's festival. I continue to do it. We'll make fry bread for not from now on. I don't know if I can not make it again. Her win shows that anyone can achieve fluffy, crispy fry bread fit for an Indian taco with a bit of practice.
Find Fire Lake Fry Bread Taco on Facebook at Fry Bread Taco. Since 2010, Chicago-based photographer and citizen Potawatomi Nation tribal member Sharon Hoogstraten has been documenting members from the Potawatomi Nations across North America for her new book, Dancing for Our Tribe. Throughout the last 12 years, she has attended many events to capture the images that comprise the book she released in August 2022. More than that, Hoogstraten also collected family stories, Potawatomi history, poems, descriptions, and artwork, all of which are featured. I felt it was important to make the best, finest book I could because this is an heirloom. No, this is supposed to go forward to the next seven generations. And in order to be, you know, saved and cherished in that way, it has to be a beautiful book. Having honed her skills for nearly 40 years studying and working on various projects, she applied them to Dancing for Our Tribe. She designed every aspect of the book and filled every inch with her experiences and her subject's knowledge and thoughts. During the photo shoots, Hoogstraten set up spaces for people to dance dressed in their regalia, capturing the beauty of the handmade creations in motion. For the most part, she said people overcame their self-consciousness and expressed gratitude for the opportunity. And I thought that was amazing because, you know, we would use music and we'd get caught up in the beat and, and they would really give of themselves. And there is their personality in those images. They're not catalog pictures. Their being is in there. It's not just their regalia. I always hope that people see that. Hoogstraten enjoyed picturing people in their own cultural garments that transcend and show the influence of time and history. Uh, regalia is not a reenactment. This is a very based in tradition, but current art. It is your story. Your regalia is always changing. It's never finished. You are building your stories and your thoughts into your regalia for... Um, non-natives, it is a testimonial to the fact that we are still here. While creating the book, Hook Stratton requested that her subjects handwrite statements about their attire, clan, or Potawatomi family histories, and their handwriting became as important as their words. In our culture, a storyteller is the guardian of our history, and that really resonated with me. I thought that's what I'm trying to do here is be a guardian of our history. Once I started looking at it like that, then I started really processing people's stories of their regalia. She hopes the book encourages tribal members to make pieces of their own for the first time or pushes them to begin a new set for themselves or someone they know. Hook Stratton's connection to Potawatomi culture and her heritage remained limited until she began the project, despite living on Nishnabe homelands in present-day Chicago as an adult. A Wilmette family descendant, she became inspired to learn about her ancestors and their past as she traveled throughout the continent, photographing other tribal members. Now her new book shows the breadth and depth of that gained knowledge. Every way you turn, there's a whole new uh, tributary of Potawatomi history that is so interesting in itself. But at some point, you just have to cut it off because <laughs> this book is like an encyclopedia, right? I mean, it's 304 pages. It's like an inch and a quarter thick. 
Hoogstraten wanted the focus to remain on regalia. However, the book also contains historical resources and engravings of artist George Winter's sketches from the Potawatomi Trail of Death, when the U.S. government forcibly removed tribal members from the Great Lakes to Kansas. The pages include contributions from Native artists and authors alive today, depicting culture and history as well. The line drawings of feathers and birds are attributed to CPN artist Penny Coates. I tried to provide enough background so that people who want to pursue a, a deeper understanding of the history of the Potawatomis or even the Native American experience uh, during colonization, there's books in there that are recommended that they can go to because I'm not an academic, although I have learned a lot in the last 10 years. She made a name for herself throughout the Potawatomi Nations during that time and enjoyed building relationships and meeting new family members. From being a person who hadn't ever been to a gathering or a family reunion festival in 2010, I feel like so connected to all these people and all these nations. And you have to earn that. And it's such a gift. At one point, Hoog Stratton slightly changed the book's title, and while it seems small to her, the distinction carried significant weight. I had a working title, um, Dancing for My Tribe, because this was my personal project, and it wasn't really until I started to put the book together that I thought, we're all dancing in this book. You know, the contributors, the assistants, the people who maybe posed and aren't in the book. They all contributed to the spirit of the book. Everybody was so generous with themselves and their time and their interest in the project that I felt I had to change the name. It was Dancing for Our Tribe. The transition from my to our came as Hook Stratton met more people from different Potawatomi nations and realized their stories about regalia and life needed to be included. She cherished every chance to learn from someone. Even if they say something that you already know or you did assume, there's always going to be an edge on it that is different from the way you, you processed it. So many times I've thought I had things figured out and I've learned just shut up and listen. It always pays off. Throughout the years, she and her subjects worked in all climates and conditions, with shelter and electricity as necessities for a photo shoot. But they weren't always easy to obtain, and she was grateful for any help. You know, I froze to death in Walpole Island shooting on the hockey rink, sweating to death at the Prairie Band because it was 105 degrees and we were shooting a machine shed with hornets. And people look so good, and I think... They're in full regalia and dancing. I, I'm complaining about how hot I was. How did they do it? And nobody ever complained. Hook Stratton filled the book with vibrant, full-color photographs with crisp lines that show off each piece of regalia and its wearer. She used a high-resolution digital camera to ensure the preservation of the photos for decades and generations to come. You see modern photographers doing these beautiful portraits of Native Americans and they're black and white and they're very nicely done. I didn't feel like I could do that because I'm showing exactly where we are in our time. As the purpose grew from capturing portraits to telling Potawatomi stories, she started to feel a sense of obligation to her subjects and assistants, as well as the pressure of completing what she started. 
Hoog Stratton used the additional time at home during the pandemic to put the finishing touches on the book and developed a production and distribution strategy with the University of Oklahoma Press. Dancing for Our Tribe became available in August 2022. I look at all the work I went to, and I know so many tribal members go to, to find their ancestors, right? They, they're digging through photo albums. I found some at my aunt's house that were just really precious. And I think about our great, great, great granddaughters and grandsons trying to figure out who we were. And here's this book, this book with so many names and faces and not just the portrait. Now in her late 60s, Hoog Stratton sees Dancing for Our Tribe as the capstone of her long and varied photography and design career. The door is starting to close for me, but this book is what I did with my life. You know, it's the most important thing I've ever worked on. I can't imagine anything that could top it. Order Dancing for Our Tribe from the University of Oklahoma Press at OUPress.com. It's time for learning language when the CPN Language Department joins us to teach vocabulary, songs, stories, and more. In this segment, Department Director Justin Neely goes over some food vocabulary and shares a special recipe. Bonjour, Jack. Justin Neely and Dejnakas. And talk a little bit about food today. Wisnuan. Food, wisnuan, wisnuan e dopwanak. Food is on the table, wisnuan e dopwanak. Bagaji wisnuan, snack, bagaji wisnuan. Wias, meat, wias. And something to note here whenever you talk about a food, a type of animal, or something you eat, you have to add that wias to it. So if you're saying like chicken, you'd say, like you're going to eat, you'd say, bidi wias, or if you're talking about turkey, msize wias. The only animal that you don't put the wias on is on fish. You don't have to say gigo wias. You just say gigo. But otherwise, it's almost like you're taking a live animal. Like you're talking about, like, I'm going to eat a chicken. <laughs> like jump on a live chicken or something. So you have to have that wias. Bidi wias. Nokmes winsesen are vegetables. Nokmes winsesen. And we don't have a word per se for vegetables. This is a word that's been created over the years. It literally means grandmother's hair. Because often when we talk about the earth and we talk about the plants and things, we're talking about either our mother or our grandmother. So it's our grandmother's hair. Washkabuck is how we would say fruit. That's also the word we use for candy. It's really literally a sweet object or a sweet thing because fruit tends to be sweet. One thing that you don't have a lot of in Potawatomi are some of those categorizing type words. We have very specific words, but sometimes we don't have some of those category type words. Damon, strawberry, damon. And a damon is literally a heartberry. And if you cut a strawberry in half, it looks like a heart. Menomen, rice, menomen. And that literally means that good seed, that men that you see on a lot of these berries or um, fruits and even on vegetables it talks about the seed or the berry menomen the good seed questman squash questman ndamen corn ndamen and that word for corn i've heard it described as that miraculous seed 
And corn really was. I mean, corn was a, a plant that we used in so many different recipes. You can make flour out of it. It really was a pretty miraculous plant. It really is. So that daman. And daman is actually one of the plants that's uh, animate. Uh, not all of these are animate. Some of them are inanimate. It's a little bit complicated with food sometimes. You just kind of have to memorize which ones are animate, which ones are inanimate. Certain ones are and certain ones aren't. Pugna. Pugna is a cornbread. It's a traditional cornbread that we make. Damnable, corn soup. Damnable. A lot of times when you see that nabo on the end of a word, it indicates a liquid or a soup. That nabo part, like you say, no nabo, that's milk. So, damnable, corn soup. Zasko kwetuk pakwejgen, fry bread. Zasko kwetuk pakwejgen. And I know that's a big word. I understand that. Some people will shorten it a little bit, kind of a slang way of saying it. Instead of having the pakwejgen on there, they just say zasko kwetuk, which literally just means a thing that's fried. But in the context, it makes sense. I mean, if you just have that piece of item that's fried, then that's what you're talking about, zasko kwetuk. So you can say zasko kwetuk or zasko kwetuk pakwejgen. Zio bagos. Zio bagos is lettuce. Zio bagos. Funny thing is, we also have a word for salad, which I'll also mention here is wabozo wistoen. It's kind of a, a word that's been created in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. Wabozo wistoen, literally rabbit food. <laughs> wabozo wistoen. Tomato, tomato, tomato. And this one's just a word that's been potawatomized. And the next one is similar. Cheese, cheese, jis. It's just been potawatomized, so it kind of has that potawatomy sound to it, if you will. Beef, Now this can be any type of cow meat. Um, sometimes when we're trying to talk about different meats, we'll talk about a certain cut or something. We'll talk about like where it comes from on the animal. So if you're not real cognizant of, hey, it's like the back, it's the this, it's the rump or whatever, it could be a little more complicated, but usually you talk about like the cut where it comes from sometimes. So Bishukke, again, is, is cow, and you have to have that weas as part of it to indicate something that you're going to eat. Bishukke, weas. Bogoch bishukke. Bogoch bishukke is a bison or a buffalo. Bogoch bishukke. And that word actually literally means wild cow. A long time ago, we used to use the word bishukke for a buffalo or a bison. But over many, many years, once the bison kind of got wiped out and kind of almost, almost exterminated completely, um, the bishukke or the cow became kind of our new uh, buffalo in a way. So the, it took on that bishukke name, just like the way Dabian used to be for a wagon. Now it's for a car. So now we call the buffalo or bison bagoch bishukke. But if you're talking about bison meat, you'd say bagoch bishukke wias. Bagoch bishukke wias. Bison meat. Bagoch bishukke wias. Bidi. Chicken. Bidi. And again, if you're talking about the meat that you're actually eating, you want to say bidi wias, chicken meat, bidi wias. Got to have the wias on there. Meanin, blueberries, meanin. Now, mean by itself can be a type of berry, but it's usually in it's usually in reference to blueberries. We can get very specific. We can say like gooseberries. You can say blackberries, raspberries, all types of berries, and that have that min on there. But meanin is usually used to refer to those blueberries. Kojes is a bean. Kojes. So like a green bean. If you want to say beans, beans is an animate one. Kojes suk. Beans. Kojes suk. Because who just eats one kojes? You need a bunch. At least, at least a couple. Kojes suk. So 
that's it for food. But I do want to share that recipe real quick for pugna. It's really simple to, to make pugna. Basically, all you have to do is you get yourself some ears of corn. And then a lot of people will use like a like an old metal can that they've kind of poked some nails through. So it's got that real hard kind of jetted uh, side to it where it's got like the, where the nails went through on it. And you kind of run that down those uh, that corn and it'll, it'll really squeeze it'll really break apart those uh, kernels because that's what you're really trying to do. You're trying to get the juice out and break it all apart. And you kind of scrape it down. You scrape it into a bowl. And then you also take it a step further and kind of smash it up a little bit. Now, that's the old school kind of way to do it. Um, the kind of cheater way to do it, which I've done myself, is you can even take it and put it into like a food processor and blend it. And it'll really get it blended up really well. And then... And then afterwards, you just add a little bit of flour to it, either to the blended one that you did or to the, if you want to do it the old school way, that's cool too. But you add a little bit of flour to it and then you get your grease going on in a pan on the oven, very similar to the way you would do fry bread. And you cook it like very like a flat pancake. So you pour it in there and you cook it like a flat pancake and then you flip it, cook the other side. Doesn't take very long as long as the oil's already been hot when you put it in there. Don't want to burn it, get it off. You can put a little honey on it or you can put some... Uh, uh, powdered sugar, some some of the similar stuff maybe you'd want to add that you do with fry bread. But it's very yummy, very tasty. It's called Pugna. That's it for this section on Wiesnuen. Uh, hopefully you'll give it a whirl and you'll try making your own Pugna. So, Bama Amina. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Please click the subscribe button and leave us a rating. And share the show with your family and friends. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T. OMI.org. Megwetch Nikanek, Mamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later. <laughs>